Good morning. Welcome back. Um, we've just finished up uh, half of the class. Uh, Brad did the last three weeks, and I'm back for another three. Um, so if you haven't been keeping track, we are now halfway done with our summer course, which means we're also halfway done with summer. So if your list isn't done uh, of what you need to do this summer or want to do, start your trips now. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Chuck asked Brad about rhyming in the Psalms, and Brad didn't come up with an answer. He could have just winged it or something. Instead, he deferred to me and said that I would answer it uh, when I came back, um, and now Chuck's not here. So if you see him this week, tell him. You can, you can tell him about this. So, um, you know, it, we tend to associate poetry with rhyming or vice versa, um, but, you know, rhyme isn't a required element of poetry. Um, and it's not used in the Psalms in Greek or English unless maybe accidentally. Uh, but there is something, a structure, poetic structure to the Psalms um, that, that I, I know you guys are already familiar with called semantic, syntactic, accentual parallelism. Um, so I won't go into the details of that because you already know it from Sunday school. Um, so you can tell Chuck that while there's no rhyming, there's semantic, syntactic, accentual parallelism. I'll break that down for you guys, because I know you're curious now. So that was that someone came up with that after the fact, of course, uh, someone named Horshavsky. So what that means, and we've talked about uh, contrasts in the Psalms already, and that's kind of what this is about. Um, parallelism, meaning you've got two parts to something, and they're related in some way. So semantic, meaning uh, there's a parallelism of meaning. Uh, sometimes it's just exactly the same. Or we've seen a lot of synonyms used. Syntactic, meaning uh, parallelism in grammar or composition. And then accentual, equivalent number of stressed syllables. So that was boring, and we'll move on. to. Uh, so we're halfway done. Um, I've got the next three weeks. Brad's got the next two. I don't think Brad mentioned the reading plan at all, so you all have some catching up to do. Uh, <laughs> but if, if, if you want to, we've kind of been informally going about two psalms a day uh, to get through in the summer. If you have not, that's fine. You don't have to read them in order. Uh, but we're now on 75 approximately through 90 for this next week. Um, so, bef- so, yeah, we'll just go ahead and jump into the rest of it now that we've got the boring poetry stuff out of the way. You guys rem- remember CDs? What does that stand for? <laughs> Compact discs. <laughs> LPs, 45s, cassettes, eight tracks. CDs, yeah, I was, uh, we were visiting family this week, and my brother-in-law was playing something on a CD in his truck, and I haven't used a CD in years. Um, my computer hasn't played CDs in even longer. Uh, but one of the last CDs I ever purchased um, was... I and Love and You by the Avett Brothers. Fantastic album. Um, and there's something, so the way I listen to CDs versus how I listen to music now is I would just put them in my car and let them repeat from front to back. Um, I never saw the names of the songs. I might read the track list when I first got the thing. Uh, but once I put it in, I didn't take it out, and I just left, left it on repeat. And... Uh, there's one song in particular that, that the first time I listened to it, it got me, and it just kept getting me over and over again, and, and it was always a new piece of the song, and it's been 10 years now, um, and I still listen to that song almost at least once a week, if not more. I still listen to that whole album 
front to back. Um, and, and I never knew the name of this song, but it was track three. And I would just, I would replay that one sometimes. I didn't, my car didn't have the infotainment system that's, that scrolled through the name of the song or the artist. So it was just track three to me. And this is one of those songs that doesn't have the title in the song. So it's not like the chorus is the name of the song. Um, but the line that, that got me first, and so this is, this is it. If you're loved by someone, you're never rejected. Decide what to be and go be it. I was afraid I'd probably sing that one. Um, maybe Nathan can, can do a rendition for us. I was tempted to have him bring his banjo and Ashley, her accordion, and we could play it for you, but we're not, not doing that today. When I've, that line has been stuck in my head, and it, it actually drove me to action um, quite a few times. Uh, it, it was just kind of, I don't know, I can't really explain it. Um, but that was the first line that ever really got me. Right? And then, like I said, I'd keep listening to it, and there'd always be another piece of the song. So this was the next verse. Um, there's a dream. There was a dream, and one day I could see it. Like a bird in a cage, I broke in and demanded that somebody free it. And there was a kid with a head full of doubt, so I'll scream till I die, and the last of those bad thoughts are finally out. Uh, I, I think I mentioned I'm one of those people, as I'm driving down the highway on a road trip, I roll down the windows and I turn up the music so I can sing and not hear myself. This is the primary song I do that on. Uh, also, it wakes me up if I've been driving a long time. But the first half of that song is, the first verse is, is full of doubt. It's about doubt, self-doubt. Um, and, and it took years later, hundreds of plays, before I had a new vehicle, and I immediately put that album back in and had it playing again. And this time it told me the name of the song. And I, I saw the first half. It's a two-parted title. And the first half, it, you know, it just scrolls apart, scrolls across. And so as I was listening to music, I was looking down at the title, and I see this, head full of doubt, slash, road full of promise. And I don't know, it was just all that time of listening to the song that I then saw the title and realized this isn't just a song about doubt, um, but there's a promise associated with it or, or coming out after it. Um, so even in the midst of all this self-doubt, this this recognition that there is still a promise of something. And, and in this case, it was that dream. He never says what it is, um, and I don't want to read too much into his lyrics because they mean something to me, possibly different than what he intended for them to mean or what they meant to him, but they're powerful. And the reason I wanted to pull this song out is um, this is a common refrain throughout the psalm. This is not a new thing, right? This is not a new human experience. He's not the only one who's felt this. And throughout the Psalms, we see a lot of these types where the author, you, you, can, you can feel his doubt, uh, self-doubt, but then this recognition of a promise. So what I wanted to get some feedback on is, is what is the promise that we have as Christians? And also, what is the promise that Hebrews had? Is it different? Anyone? What is the promise that we have as Christians? Why are we here every Sunday? <laughs> What's that? Eternity with God. Okay. What else? There's no right answers. I, I don't have like something that's going to pop up and tell you how you're all wrong. <laughs> what else? He is our rock and fortress. He is our rock and fortress. Yeah. 
We've seen that theme in the Psalms already. What else? Relationship with God. Okay. How about the Hebrews? What was, what was the promise they had? That a Messiah would come. So that there's a difference between the promise we have and the one they had there, right? Is the Messiah has come. So our promise is a bit different now. Uh, what else was a promise that the Hebrews had from God? That, he'll, that God will watch over us and protect us. Yeah. Anything else? So I don't know if you've, you've noticed this in the Psalms we've been reading so far. Uh, some of them have uh, address it, some don't. Um, but that, those are the ones we're going to look at today are ones that kind of talk about this doubt. Human, uh, as a human, the self-doubt, um, maybe doubt that God is going to fulfill his promise, but then following up with what the promise is. Uh, so if we get the, st- uh, the mic, Steve, uh, we'll go ahead and read 124. And Katie, good? No? Ashley? <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're my my backup. Katie's throat's not feeling great. Um, So 124, I said I was only going to do Robert Alter's translations and the ESV, and then I went ahead and got the NIV for this one. So we'll read the NIV for 124. We're in not for the Lord who was for us. Let Israel now say, we're it not for the Lord who was for us. When people rose against us, when they would have swallowed us alive, when their wrath flared hot against us, when the water would have swept up, swept us up, the tolerant come past our necks, when it would come up past our necks, the raging waters, blessed is the Lord who did not make us pray for their teeth. Our life is like a bird escaped from the snare of the valors. The snare is broken and we escaped. Our help is the name of the Lord, maker of the heaven and earth. Thank you. Sorry, I read the wrong one, didn't I? Oh, that's fine. They're not that different. The translations are not that different. Um, ESVs and altars were basically identical, so uh, that's why I grabbed another one. But um, I think a lot of us are familiar with this psalm already, right? There's a, there's a hymn that we sing quite often. Um, oh, what's it called? It's, um, oh, had it not been the Lord... Uh, I won't sing it. I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to try to read this in a different light and get that, that song out of our heads as we read it. So this one, initially it seems to be written as a personal reflection, um, is, the, is the initial thought. But then you see in verse 1 uh, that dash, let Israel say, uh, so, so what's what's that doing? What's that telling us about how this is written? Communal, yeah. It, it's uh, almost providing a script or a direction for a doubting nation. So it's not only that the author is consumed by doubt, or may have been. Maybe he's not anymore, but he recognizes that the nation of Israel at this time could be in a state of doubt. Um, so he's, he's 
calling to mind things of the past that the Lord has done, and he's giving them something to say. So the first half, uh, one through five, is presentation of a situation that would generally lead to doubt. Uh, When people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. Sorry, I'm looking at NIV right now. Uh, When people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger flared against us, the flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. All this, to me, sounds perfectly reasonable to have doubt if all this is happening to you, right? But then the whole second half is an acknowledgement of the promise. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So again, he's calling the entire nation to say this, to repeat this, to use this song, to put it on repeat, put it in their CD player and listen to it over and over again for 10 years. This acknowledgement of, of doubt that you're not unfounded in feeling this way, but also calling to mind the promise that they have from God. And if you, I don't know when in history this was written, but if you think of the history of the Hebrews, uh, this could mean very different things at very different times of their history. Uh, going through um, you know, the, the formation, uh, the, the, the drought, having to move to Egypt, being in Egypt, being enslaved, having to escape from Egypt, the, then being exiled. Like, things don't go great for them in, throughout their history. And there are many instances where they were being attacked where they could have been annihilated, wiped out. God prevented that. Um, and then it, it was totally but randomly that this even has an a, uh, image of a bird being freed, like the Avett Brothers song. Um, so I was kind of surprised when I saw that. I had picked this one out already and then decided to talk about the other song too. But we've already seen that, that analogy, that image used throughout many psalms. We've talked about fowler's snares a lot. Why do you think that is? Why is that an image that 3,000 years later we're still writing about in modern song? I'm not really sure. I, I think uh, maybe it has something to do with the fragileness of a bird. Um, they are pretty helpless once you capture them. Um, but once they're, once they're out of a cage, when they're free, they're magnificent. When, they're, when they are not confined and they're allowed to be who they truly are, um, it's a beautiful thing. And so I think people have always related to that idea of of being trapped, knowing that they're supposed to be doing something else, and they're just kind of waiting for that rescue. And when they do, they spread their wings and fly. I don't know. Um, I think that's beautiful. But I don't know if it's, if it's the reason why. I'm sure everyone's got their own reasons for it. But, um, yeah, I was surprised how many times we've seen that image already. The song we sing... Um, had it not been the Lord, is almost this entire psalm verbatim. Uh, I really like that one. So next time that one comes up, listen to something new in, in that song, right? Try to pick out something different and see, just listen to it on repeat. All right, um, 
Let's go to anything on 124 before we move on. Any observations or thoughts? Do you still have the mic? Or does Steve have it? Okay, Austin's going to do the next one. We'll go ahead and read 77. This one's a bit longer, so I only gave one translation. Go ahead. My My voice to God, let me cry out. My voice to God, and hearken to me. In the day of my straits, I sought the master. My eye flows at night, it will not stop. I refuse to be consoled. I call God to mind and I moan. I speak and my spirit faints. You held open my eyelids. I throbbed and could not speak. I ponder the days of yore, the years long gone. I call to mind my song in the night. To my own heart I speak and my spirit inquires. Will the master forever abandon me and never again look with favor? Is his kindness gone for all time? His word done for time without end? Has God forgotten to show grace? Has he closed off his wrath, his compassion? And I said, it is my failing that the high one's right hand has changed. I call to mind the acts of God when I recall your wonders of old. I recite all your works, your acts I rehearse. God, your way is in holiness. Who is great? Who is a great God like God? You are the God working wonders. You made known among peoples your strength. You redeemed with your arm your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They trembled. The depth the depths themselves shuddered. The clouds streamed water. The skies sounded with thunder. Your bolts, too, flew about. Your thunder sound under the wheel. Lightning lit up the world. The earth shuddered and shook. In the sea was your way, in your path in the mighty waters, and your footsteps left no traces. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thank you. Okay, uh, where's the doubt and promise in this one? Anything stand out to you? I thought the image set in in the beginning of this, uh, of his state, was pointed. Um, My voice to God, let me cry out. My voice to God, and hearken to me. In the day of my straits, I sought the master. My eye flows at night. It will not stop. I refuse to be consoled. I call God to mind, and I moan. I speak, and my spirit faints. You held open my eyelids. I throbbed and could not speak. All right, where's he at? Hmm? Despair? Physically, where might he be? You held open my eyelids. Sounds like he's trying to go to sleep. Insomnia. Um, I'm sure some of you have been there before. So he, at the end of the day, is supposed to be rest, right? He's consumed by doubt. He's lying awake. He can't sleep. And so he's trying all these different things. And it's amazing how much how many different things you can think when you're trying to go to sleep. Like, it's just kind of a cascading of emotions sometimes. And then all of a sudden you're asleep and you wake up and you thought you never would have fallen asleep. But he, he's, in the days of my straits, so things are not going great, he calls to mind God. Uh, this, whole, this little piece, I called to mind, is used three times, and we'll look at that. So he's, he's lying awake at night, insomnia, 
And what's the first thing he tries to do to, to alleviate that? In 6, I ponder the days of yore. All right, so now he's lying awake at night, and he's thinking about all the things that have happened in the history of his people. I call to mind my song in the night. He's trying to um, bring some calm. To my own heart I speak. So he's kind of trying to do some self, uh, self-calming self or self-remedy or whatever. Will the master forever abandon me? So this whole idea that because he doesn't see God, he, must, he assumes God has abandoned him. But then he's calling to mind all these things that have happened in the days of yore. Um, let's see. So we've got in four, I call God to mind. I speak and my spirit faints. You held open my eyelids. Then we have in seven, I call to mind my song in the night. So kind of self-remedy. But he immediately falls back into doubt in eight. Will the master forever abandon me? Uh, Then he goes on talking about all the ways that God may have abandoned him. And then in 12, I call to mind the acts of God. When I recall your wonders of old, I recite all your works so now we have this idea of him laying in bed just reciting the entire Torah, which he probably had the knowledge of and had memorized. So now he's lying in bed reciting all your works, your acts I rehearse. And the entire last half of this thing, he, he's reciting one story in particular, sounds like. Which story is that? Starting in 17 and on. Exodus. Yeah. So he's, he's reciting all the works of God, and he hones in on the Exodus. And that seems to be what provides calm and relief, right? He wasn't able to do it himself by singing a song. Uh, it wasn't until he decided to recite all the works of God and hone in on the Exodus that he seems to receive some calm. And I think it might be because he's remembering the promise, the promise that held for the Hebrews in the Exodus hold for him now. Uh, you can kind of see this, this shift, right? Um, right down the middle, um, where at 13, you know, he's shifted his focus even though he, he calls to mind God, he seems to immediately, in, in four, in that first half, even though he's trying to call God to mind, it's like he immediately falls back on himself. Uh, it's like he tries to remember God and then falls back and just back into self-doubt. But then this shift happens and he does uh, wholly focus on God, basically through reciting his works in the next half. So there's that doubt and promise. Um, I thought it's always interesting to read the the stories of the Hebrews in, in Psalms because they take some poetic license and they kind of change the, the story a little bit. Um, but the clouds streamed water, the skies sounded with thunder, your bolts too flew about. What's the image we're given in the Exodus instead of rain, cloud streaming water and thunder, we're given the image of these pillars of cloud and pillar of fire. So it's, it's seen it in a different light. And the sea being parted, in the sea was your way and your path in the mighty waters and your footsteps left no trace. Any, uh, any observations on this one?
Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, recalling the days of yore, recalling the things that God has done in the past definitely puts the present in perspective. And I thought 11 was a really interesting line as well um, because he he starts off with doubt, but then 11, he's starting to blame himself. Uh, So it's, yeah, so exceptional doubt giving way to blaming yourself. It doesn't always start off with you thinking you did it wrong. But the more you lay awake at night thinking about all the things that have gone wrong, it's easy to attribute them to things that you did, which isn't always the case. Uh, What else? Any other thoughts? We've got some time, so I need you guys to talk. Nathan. They don't capture the true emotion. Yeah. Yeah, this is, unless he just falls asleep, right? <laughs> and wakes up in a better mood the next day. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's difficult for us to read the other Old Testament books that are more historical in nature, and we can speculate on what the people were feeling, but they're presented generally as this is what happened. These are the, the facts. Psalms does not do that at all. It's, it's presenting the emotions, uh, which can be hard to just uh, dig into and read. Like when I if I read the lyrics of an Avery Brothers song versus listening to it, it means something different, right? Same with the Psalms. We read the words, uh, but that doesn't mean we get the emotion. And it takes some digging into and trying to uh, overlay the two, the Psalms with the stories of the Old Testament and say, all right, these were the facts that we were presented and this is how these people felt about it. I think it's also encouraging for me that the emotions haven't really changed in people in the past ever, right? Uh, This isn't new. What else? Brad? 
Nice. Yeah, God's not done, right? He's not inactive. Um, and the ways he acts don't always mirror what he did before. Uh, the whole promise the Hebrews had of a Messiah coming, it's like they, they were told what to expect, right? And then it happened. And it wasn't what they expected. Even though they'd already been told, someone's coming, right? Um, yeah, so even when we have some foresight about what might be coming, and it does, we don't always pay attention to it uh, or act appropriately. We might just stay in our, in our old ways. What else? Uh, anything else on 124 or even uh, or 77 or even back to 124? We've got a few minutes. Brad may know that better. Yeah, so the Psalms we generally attribute to David, but then you start reading them, and there's all these other people that are attributed authorship. Uh, so these were written over span of, of centuries and then compiled later. But Brad, who, who was Asaph? Yeah, and which one is it? Is it 77 that is an Asaph psalm? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how accurate uh, this is, but the idea that there were groups within the Hebrews assigned special roles... Right? And that there was this group assigned to be the worshipers on behalf of the nation. You know, you had, you had lots of people whose job was to go out and work. And then you had this other group responsible for praising God on behalf of everyone else. I don't, Jeff, is that, am I way off base?
put some music to it, apply the semantic syntactic accentual parallelism rules of poetry in the Psalms. We skimmed over one. We went through 124 pretty fast. It's a lot shorter, but anything, uh, any thoughts on that one? I get to keep you guys here for like another seven minutes, so. <laughs> but I do have to give you some slack. When when Brad was teaching and I was sitting in the class, and all he asked for was like word association. I was sitting there, uh, I can't think of a single word. Other than the words he just said. <laughs> what would you associate with promise? Promise? So, I think I was up too late that night. But. Saw some other hands. What does altar mean in verse 19 of 77? When he's talking about the thunder sound under the wheel. What does he have in mind? Let me see if he's. Okay, so uh, this might be really boring, but maybe this is what you want. <laughs> oh, sorry. All right, so, um, so he, he's. Hebrew translator, right? So he's calling out the Hebrew words here. But he says, uh, your thunders sound under the wheel. Here the poet uses both qual, meaning sound, and raham, meaning thunder. Many interpreters take this as a, as a metaphoric comparison between the sound of thunder and the clattering of wheels. But because the sky god in Canaanite mythology sometimes rides a celestial chariot, this could plausibly be a mythic image of God riding across the skies in his awesome chariot, which rumbles with thunder as it goes. <laughs> you were just confused about whether to use qual or raham. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I don't know about that one, uh, other than the image of who's being, who's chasing them in chariots, right? And now is God f- attacking them on his chariot of 
thunder and lightning. I don't know. I just think there was a hand in the back a second ago. Who? Brad? <laughs> Oh, okay. He forgot. Yeah, we, uh, the timeliness of the message. You never know when it's going to be relevant. And I think one of the important things with the Psalms and that so many um, church groups throughout history have done is they, who was it you're talking about, Brad, who reads five Psalms every day? The Anglican Church. And then, you know, the Catholics make it a very central part of their worship as well. And it's just constantly keeping the words of the Psalms on on your mind, on your lips, because one day you'll be laying awake at night with these exact same feelings. May never have had in the past, um, but when you listen to a song on repeat a hundred times over ten years, then you start to hear new things. There's always something new. and It is still difficult for me to read the songs. I was hoping this class would make it easier to read them and get something out of them, but the majority of them still just kind of I skim. It's kind of hard not to um, until I make a conscious choice to go through them again. But I I like that we still use the Psalms to create songs that we sing in church regularly, like 124, um, that we can just kind of have that song in our mind. But I think uh, an interesting thing about keeping that song on mind in 77 uh, is he calls to mind, yeah, 7, in verse 7, I call to mind my song in the night. So while he's, he might be calling to mind a song, it's not exactly what's going to provide relief, but it is kind of that stepping stone to the next piece of, you know, if, if, you're in, if you're having a hard time, then call to mind a song we sing, but then dig deeper, maybe, and recite the, the story that led to that song. Uh, I don't know. I hope it helps. I hope looking at the Psalms uh, like this helps. I know it's pretty, uh, I don't know what you would call it breaking it down like this it might be boring but I hope it I hope it does help you see it differently and maybe read them for the first time or read them anew for the hundredth time uh, if there's nothing else we'll go ahead and dismiss